Welcome to The Common Rounds, medical education for medical students by medical students. In today's discussion, we'll be covering acute coronary syndrome, but more specifically, ST-elevated myocardial infarction. So there are several types of acute cardiac pathologies that can cause serious cardiac myocyte damage. Unstable angina and non-ST-elevated myocardial infarction are covered in our previous conversations, but today we'll be focusing our attention on ST-elevated myocardial infarction, otherwise known as STEM, which is a very serious type of acute coronary syndrome, and if left untreated, can cause infarction of cardiac myocyte, characterized typically by an increase on an ECG or 1 mm ST elevation in two contiguous limb leads, or 2 mm ST elevation in two contiguous chest leads, or new onset left bundle branch block. In terms of the pathogenesis, it's often due to a ruptured atherosclerotic plaque, and that accounts for about 75% of cases. The remaining 25% are due to plaque erosion, exposing highly thrombogenic subendothelial matrix, platelet activation, resulting in thrombus formation and complete artery blockage. It's worth noting that STEMI causes damage to the entire thickness of the myocardium and leads to new key waves being developed or being seen on the ECG. There are a number of important complications of STEMIs to be aware of if left untreated. There's cardiogenic shock, which can be seen in approximately 5% of patients. There is arrhythmias or heart blocks, which come about as a result of damage to the conduction system of the heart. There's wall rupture, which usually occurs 3 to 7 days post-event, and that's because the microphages have infiltrated the myocardium to clear up the dead tissue. It can affect papillary muscles, and if papillary muscles are involved, you can get regurgitation, or if the wall of the heart is involved, you can get interventricular septum disruption and shunt formation. You can also get more thrombi formation due to potentially increased blood stasis. There's also Dresler syndrome, which is an autoimmune pericarditis, and it occurs several weeks after the event, and that's when antibodies are formed directed against pericardial antigen. Ventricular aneurysms can also occur because the wall is thickened and is scarred by the MI, and there's increased risk of rupture and cardiac tamponade. Now, looking at signs and symptoms, Non-STEMIs as well as STEMIs are characterized by severe sudden onset retrosternal chest pain as well as tightness. It's frequently radiating to the left arm, neck or jaw and is associated with nausea, diaphoresis and shortness of breath. It's typically not relieved with sublingual nitroglycerin. There is a phenomenon called silent ischemia or atypical ischemia which can be seen in up to 20% of patients or cases. The patients that typically present with this sort of phenomenon includes diabetic patients, elderly, or individuals with high pain thresholds. Now, before we go further, we need to consider our other differential diagnosis and the potential causes that could mimic a myocardial infarction and still pose a serious risk to the life of the patient. These include pulmonary embolisms, aortic dissection, and acute pericardial effusion, otherwise known as um, cardiac tamponades. In terms of investigations that you want to order, we'll start with the bloods. And lab workup. There's obviously electrolytes, full blood count, coagulation studies, as INR is an important component of thrombolysis therapy in non-STEMI cases, particularly as it relates to its contraindication. You want to eventually order a fasting lipid study as well, but this can be done later. The most important bloods that you want to order are the cardiac markers, as they assist with differentiating unstable angina, ST elevated, MI, or STEMI. The two important ones include troponins, which first become elevated at 4 hours following an MI. They peak at about 44 hours after the event and can still be elevated for 10 to 14 days after an MI. They can be elevated in patients with renal impairment, so it's really important to be able to repeat the test within 6 hours to assess for a rising trend. Creatinine kinase, specifically CKMB, is specific to myocardium and can be detected within 3 to 12 hours following MI. 
and peaks at around 24 hours. CKMB typically returns to normal range after 48 to 72 hours, so it's good for assessing patients who have potentially reinfarct. Other key investigations that we need to perform is the ECG, and again, that's important for differentiating between non-ST elevated MI versus ST elevated MI. Infarct patterns are also important because they tell us where the damage to the myocardium has taken place. And there are a number of characteristic changes that we can see in ECGs. Early on, you might see a hyperactive T wave with increased T wave amplitude, followed by ST segment elevation, followed by pathological Q waves, which can be a permanent marker on an ECG and can take up to 24 hours to develop. Having said that, Q waves can be a normal finding on the leads looking at the left side of the heart, so leads 1, 2, and AVO. T-wave inversion and ST segment resolution can take place, but T-wave inversion can be again permanent on the ECG. In terms of imaging, if time permits, you want to perform an x-ray to rule out other causes such as pneumonias, assess cardiac size, look for evidence of aortic dissection or pericardial disease. Now let's talk about treatment. So the initial management is the ABCDs to ensure that the patient is hemodynamically stable. You also want to provide them with oxygen therapy as needed, analgesia for the chest pain, nitrates, which vasodilate the coronary arteries to improve oxygenation. If the patient has ongoing chest pain, then we use intravenous nitroglycerin. Otherwise, an oral or a dermal formulation is fine. You want to start antiplatelet therapy, so aspirin of at least 325 mg dose, as well as clopidogrel. This should be administered to patients before they undergo percutaneous coronary intervention and continued for at least 12 months after the treatment. Low molecular weight heparins and unfractionated heparin can also be used. Unfractionated heparins are the preferred choice for patients who are about to undergo PCI because of the capacity to be able to reverse these agents. In terms of the choice between PCIs and fibrinolytic therapy, PCIs are urgent treatments required for the reestablishment of blood flow via angioplasty or stenting of the affected vessels. It should occur within 90 minutes, so a door to balloon time of 90. And if hospital doesn't have a cath lab, aim to transfer the patient to an appropriate hospital within 120 minutes. Fibrinolytic therapy, on the other hand, is attempted if PCR cannot be performed in time. So start within 30 minutes of admission to emergency department by the patient and the greatest benefit within the first four hours. Having said that, fibrinolytic therapy can be considered if the chest pain has been occurring for less than 12 hours. Thrombolytic failure can occur in up to 30% of patients but these patients can still benefit from rescue PCI rather than repeat dose of thrombolytic. In terms of other treatments, beta blockers have been shown to reduce mortality and given to all patients without contraindication. So for example, patients who have not experienced decompensated heart failure, AV block or bradycardia. ACE inhibitors have also been shown to reduce post-infarction cardiac remodeling and preserve ventricular function. They're initiated within 24 hours unless systolic blood pressure is less than 100 millimeters of mercury or presence of acute kidney failure. If for some reason ACE inhibitors are not tolerated, you can also consider angiotensin receptor blockers. Finally, statin therapy with intensive liver lowering as tolerated is vital for risk prevention. This brings this presentation to an end, but we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website by going to www.commonrams.org, visit our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, or leave a comment on iTunes and rate us. It does really help us. And stay tuned for future episodes. Thank you. Our episode today was put together by our executive producer Gautam and our co-editor Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. 
we'll see you next time. See you next time.